You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony. Rick would like me to read two chapters here from Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. First chapter I'm going to read is Los Angeles. I came to Los Angeles from Philadelphia, where I had lived for five years, attending art school. Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love, but when I was there, it was a hellhole. There wasn't a lot of love in that city. I arrived in L.A. at night, so it wasn't until the next morning when I stepped out of a small apartment on San Vicente Boulevard that I saw this light, and it thrilled my soul. I feel lucky to live with that light. I love Los Angeles. I know a lot of people go there and they just see a huge sprawl of sameness. But when you're there for a while, you realize that each section has its own mood. The golden age of cinema is still alive there, in the smell of jasmine at night and the beautiful weather. And the light is inspiring and energizing. Even with smog, there's something about that light that's not harsh, but bright and smooth. It fills me with the feeling that all possibilities are available. I don't know why. It's different from the light in other places. The light in Philadelphia, even in the summer, is not nearly as bright. It was the light that brought everybody to L.A. to make films in the early days. It's still a beautiful place. Next chapter, down the road, Bob's Big Boy. I used to go to Bob's Big Boy restaurant just about every day from the mid-70s until the early 80s. I'd have a milkshake and sit and think. There's a safety in thinking in a diner. You can have your coffee or your milkshake, and you can go off into strange dark areas and always come back to the safety of the diner. David Lynch is the director of the film's Eraserhead, The Elephant Man, Wild at Heart, and Lost Highway. He created the cult TV series Twin Peaks. He's been nominated for three Academy Awards, most recently for Best Director for his movie Mulholland Drive. He has a new movie, Inland Empire, starring Laura Dern, and a new book titled Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. Welcome to the program, David. Thanks, Rick. It's good to be here. David, this is a really fascinating book you've written. It's a combination of meditations on meditation, hard advice for people who are creative artists, and a lot of insight into your work. What moved you to write the book and create it in the manner that you did? This book uh, came out of a 13-university tour where I took questions and answers, six universities on the East Coast, one in the Midwest, six on the West Coast. And it's a compilation, this book, of stories that were drawn out of me by uh, the students. And every place we went, there was, uh, which seemed very, very good to us, so much interest People hadn't heard about this beautiful ocean of pure consciousness within and that this ocean was bliss and that life is not, you know, about suffering. Our nature is bliss. More and more questions, you know, came and more and more hope rose in the students. So uh, this book grew out of that. I noted that the profits for this book are going to the David Lynch Foundation, which is going to be creating centers to help teach students uh, transcendental meditation. First, why don't you tell us, what do you 
how would you describe transcendental meditation? That's a good question. Um, there's so many misunderstandings about meditation and about transcendental meditation as opposed to the others. Transcendental meditation is a mental technique. And this mental technique allows any human being to dive within. And when you dive within, you experience subtler levels of mind, subtler levels of intellect, and then you transcend and you experience pure consciousness, absolute consciousness, bliss consciousness, absolute intelligence, creativity, universal love, energy, power, dynamic peace, all right there at the source of thought. You're given a mantra, a very specific sound, thought, vibration, and this mantra you say internally, sitting comfortably in a chair, closing your eyes, and away you go. And the diving is natural. Why is the diving natural? Because each deeper level of mind and intellect has more charm, more happiness, and the mind just wants to go. Human mind wants to go to a field of greater happiness, always. The analogy is you're in a classroom doing boring studies and beautiful music is playing outside. The mind goes to the beautiful music. So this nature of the mind, once turned within, will innocently, easily, effortlessly dive. And when you transcend, Rick, this experience of transcending is so magical. Transcendental meditation is the vehicle that gets you to this unbounded ocean of consciousness. But the experiencing of that does everything from there. Once you experience it, you enliven it. And consciousness, bliss, creativity, intelligence begins to grow more in the individual. And the side effect of the growth of pure bliss consciousness, intelligence, creativity from this source, unified field, negativity begins to recede. Things like fear, anxiety, depression, sorrow, these things that are killing us, anger, these things start to recede. Life looks better and better. You enjoy the doing more and more. Ideas flow. Absolutely a human thing, a, so important for human beings, so important for artists, businessmen, everybody. And it is not a religion, has nothing to do with religion, People who are very religious from all religions practice transcendental meditation and they say they get deeper understanding of their religion, more appreciation of their religion because understanding grows when you expand consciousness. Appreciation grows for everything so beautiful. And it's not a cult. I wouldn't, I, why would I want to join a cult? I want to, you know, make, make films. I want to make paintings. You are I, a cult. I don't want, I'm, that's this word cult. I, I don't want to join up. I want to get a technique that unfolds the full potential. And we human beings have a glorious full potential. And you start, stick with it, day, day, day by day practice, and the full glorious supreme potential of the human being begins to unfold rapidly. Well, one thing that really interests me is that what you're describing 
you describe it as a tool as opposed to essentially a religion or a belief or, or a, an opinion. It's uh, like a science. And this is something that you talk about your youth. You started out being interested in science and, and then found yourself interested in art, but you still view your, view your films as experiments. So maybe you could talk about using the transcendental meditation as a means of conducting experiments within your consciousness to find those little ideas and big ideas. It's, um, there's a thing in the, in the book, um, and, and analogies. Um, if you have a golf ball sized consciousness, then when you read a book, you'll have a golf ball size understanding. When you look out the window, a golf ball size awareness. When you wake up in the morning, a golf ball size wakefulness. And as you go about the day, a golf ball size inner happiness all tied to consciousness and consciousness is so abstract it it's it's better to say what would happen if we didn't have it and if you say that we wouldn't exist without consciousness we even if we existed we wouldn't know it it's the i amness of life the 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 i that we talk to the ageless i that we talk to and we all have consciousness but how much do we have? And if, it's just so beautiful that we can grow more and more and more. So as that ball of consciousness starts expanding, just from the experiencing of this deepest level, that ball of consciousness will start growing. Now when you read a book, more understanding. How beautiful is that? More awareness, more wakefulness when you wake up. We think we're awake when we're wake, waking up wide awake is enlightened so you know there's that's that's something to think about inner happiness this you know bound by negativity with very little glow of inner happiness is is kind of a hellish way to go through life you start ramping that light up inside and this beautiful you know enjoyment happiness in the doing happiness in the doing unbelievable things grow one thing that, that I found fascinating was that you're known for your kind of visions of darkness. And, and you st say that we don't need to suffer to understand suffering. So talk a little bit about how you use this tool to explore darkness okay. and why. There's um, there's a thing taking off from the last question when the ball of consciousness starts growing, say your the the ball is you know now it's the size of a basketball. Say our consciousness. Below that, subconscious. Below that, the you know the, the unified field. Ideas. Everything comes from this field. An idea might come up and be traveling up and up and up, getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and then, bingo, it enters the conscious mind, and we get an idea. Every single thing I do and most every single thing anybody does is based on ideas. And so you want to catch them at a deeper and deeper level where they have more and more power, more and more information, more and more zinging inspiration with them. So you go uh, and expand that container. You catch these ideas. Now, sometimes you catch a cinema idea. Number one, you fall in love with the idea itself just because you're you and you fall in love with that kind of thing. 
You fall in love with it for their second reason because you see what cinema could do to it. Now you are rolling, even if it's just a fragment. It's so thrilling to catch this idea. Stories, as they say in the book, always will have conflict. Highs and lows, torment, you know, the whole range of the human condition. And that's what makes good stories. But the artist doesn't have to suffer, suffer to show suffering. And that's the key to the whole game, the whole thing, that you can understand suffering more. You can understand the human thing more and appreciate it and appreciate and get that story just exactly, you know, right. And you're, you know, in the safety of the diner. Tell us a little bit about cinema and storytelling. One of the things that you talk about is discovering images and finding the story that is behind those images. And you talk about this with respect to uh, Blue Velvet. Tell us about the images that you found, discovered for Blue Velvet, and then how the how they came together into a story. Well, those images um, that I found were like ideas because an image is an idea. And an image holds more than just the image, um, an idea. So the, the images I got, were red lips at night, probably, I think, in a car window, and green neighborhood lawns, and Bobby Vinton's version of Blue Velvet. This kind of conjured up a, a, a mood and a world, just those elements. And then uh, the next idea was someone finds an ear in a vacant lot. So something started happening from those things, and, and, and Blue Velvet emerged. One thing I, I've noted about a lot of your work is that you're really interested in the suburbs. You said a lot of your, your work in the suburbs, and we see a lot of suburban images, and you have a really interesting take on the suburbs. It's a very fantastic place. It's a place where all sorts of very strange things can happen. One thing you talk about when you talk about working wood, you talk about the woodworker who would like rub his hands over seams and make them disappear. It's like a moment of, of magic in your own life. And, and I'd like you to talk about how you like have the magic that wells up out of just the bland normality or what most people see as the bland normality of our suburban life. It's ideas again. You look at a a neighborhood, some houses, and the mind starts wondering, and you start on a on a daydream, and something will start happening, and bingo, an idea could come out of that. It it just comes out of it, and and you kind of like another thing about pure consciousness that you can you can experience and enliven and grow in, is a it's a it's a field of knowingness. We can have this thing called knowingness, and I guess we call it intuition. So you intuit things. You look at something, and, and the intuition starts going more. And you might, you know, pull, you know, some understanding from a thing that you wouldn't understand before. You might, you might know a person having just met them. You just intuit things. And and sometimes these neighborhoods hold their their whole worlds. Every person is you know so so deep, 
and the relationships and the cars and the music and the decorations and the backyard and the little dogs. And it's just got a, it got all kind of possibilities, but you need ideas. So if you just look at them for a while, maybe, maybe an idea will come. Gives it a whole story and a whole angle on it. And um, so it's ideas. Tell us a little bit about one thing that I find really interesting is the the kind of the quantum entanglement. There's a there's a hard physics backdrop to some of this unified field. Of course, it, the idea comes from unified field theory. So tell us a little bit about your understanding of how the physics supports that. I'd love to. I, I have a really good friend who's considered one of the greatest quantum physicists in the world, Dr. John Hagelin. And he is just unbelievably interesting to talk to. And so the way I see it, you know, from the little I know, is um, for the last 300 years, um, scientists have been looking at matter. And, you know, they, they, you could pick up a rock and you wonder, what really is a rock? Unbelievable kind of thing to think about. What is it really? And these cowboys started looking into these rocks and they found molecules. Can you imagine the day that they found a molecule? Well, it's an interesting concept and idea, uh, as you say. Yeah. Then they looked inside the molecules and they found atoms. Then they looked inside those atoms and they found other things. And they found smaller and smaller particles. They found four forces that moved the particles. And deeper, the four became three. And deeper, the three became two. And deeper, unified field. The Lagrangian of the superstring. And a field of no hyphen thing, unmanifest unity of all particles, all forces. Beautiful. And then they say that everything that is a thing has emerged from this field. This field is magical. It holds the past, present, and future. It's, it's a beautiful, unbelievably powerful field. The intelligence that makes the thing work, the creativity that creates it, the energy that makes it move, the bliss. Bliss is intelligence. Bliss is love. Bliss is energy. Bliss, when you experience this level of bliss consciousness, the splash of it is bliss. And bliss is physical, emotional, mental, spiritual happiness. You can vibrate with it. It's so unbelievably beautiful. And it's a human, human thing to experience that deepest level, unified field. Vedic science has always known about this field. They call it Atma, the self. And there's a line that says, know thyself. Dive in there, experience it, and know it by being it. Unliven the whole thing. This bliss and happiness that you're talking about, it enables you to create some really interesting art. And it, one of the things that you talk about is the impact of technology on art for you. And you've worked with film for many years, and now you're working with digital video. Tell us a little bit about how your experience with digital video and, and why you, you like working with this medium and, and how it's helping you 
get closer to your ideas. I started working with the Sony PD-150 on my website doing small experiments. And it's not a high-def, you know, uh, tape. It's, it's you know, kind of low-res. But I really love suddenly working with this camera that I once considered a toy. And I started getting ideas for scenes. So I started shooting some scenes with the Sony PD-150. And I shot another scene with it. And I shot another scene with it, not thinking that what I was doing was going toward a feature. But lo and behold a feature story started emerging from this. So I didn't want to change horses in midstream. I stayed with the Sony PD-150. And then right away we did tests, up-resing it, and tests of the up-res to film. And although it wasn't film quality, it had its own beauty. And I, I fell in love with it. Even with this quality, I fell in love. Then I, I began to realize that the ease of the beauty of working with a small camera with automatic focus 40 minute takes being able to see exactly what you're going to get and if you don't like it tweak it right there on the spot exactly what you're going to get it was a dream imagine two actors and they're doing a scene and they're getting down in there they're getting some magic and you stop you got to reload the film camera and every time, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times somebody reloads, somebody will start tweaking some lights, and you're, you broke a mood to, for those two people. Now you've got 40-minute takes. You get down in there. You can hold that little camera and drift a little bit. Automatic focus. And they're getting down in there, and they catch a magic. And nobody's stopping them. And they catch it and ride that so beautiful. This is a really amazing piece of technology, and it's really interesting that you're working with, you know, the previous generation, not the latest generation. And one thing that, that, that informs us is we can look at films that are, you know, were filmed Todd Browning's Freaks. It still looks beautiful. The old stuff still looks beautiful, and there's a constant drive towards the cutting edge. And it's and not only does it look beautiful, the old stuff, but I think there's some secret to it. When you can't see everything crystal clear, I feel I have more room to dream. Other people would have more room to dream. The mind kicks in when there's an, any abstraction, and, and you wonder... So if there's some 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 loss of of that crisp you know everything known quality, um, you kind of you know go in you go in, it has its own look. It's not realism. It's it's it starts a dream. One of the things that's interesting about your work is the way it's written and the narrative structures that you use, especially in your more, more recent movies. Tell us a little bit about the metafictional constructs and the, ab the way you connect abstractions and smoothly segue from one perspective and storyline to another so that the reader doesn't even realize, or the viewer doesn't even realize that they've been transported to a completely different realm than where they were before. Well, I, you know, it's not an intellectual process. It comes from the ideas. You don't set out and say, I'm going to do this or do this or do this. 
it's it's the ideas come and you one of the reasons you fall in love i do is there is a story coming but it holds some abstractions and cinema can say abstractions it's so beautiful and it's it's like it's like music and like music the structure of a thing some long some short how a piece of music dies away and just before it dies a new thing emerges like that and swells a theme comes part of it maybe and dies away another thing comes and covers it and it goes along like that and then that theme comes back again you almost fell in love with it at the beginning and now it comes it's like a friend and it goes even more and you almost start crying all these things with time and sequences but it comes with the ideas how tell us a little bit about scripting when you script a movie how much room do you leave for the ideas to develop when you're in the collaborative environment of it's filmmaking it's not a, it's not a collaborative environment it's not no oh. um it's it's sort of is but it isn't um because the reason it isn't is that you don't get together with a bunch of people and say, okay, now I would like to have all your ideas on this project. This would be a supreme disaster and a, a heartache and an absurdity. You got an idea. You fell in love with it. Now you translate it to cinema and you need help. First thing you got to do is get the team, actors, actresses, all the departments to catch that same drift as close as possible so they're thinking that same idea and it comes with communication strange sometimes communication but eventually or quickly they catch it and we're all going down the same road indicated by that idea or those ideas so it's getting everybody tuned into that scripting you know, like they say, when you build a house, you got to have a blueprint. But not that many people can, you know, it doesn't have to be a great blueprint, but it gives you an indication of the house. The house is the thing. So a script, they say, is like a blueprint. And as it is in building a house, you know, you build it based on the blueprint, the ideas you got. You're pretty fired up about these ideas. But when you see it in front of you, you realize, no, that's not quite right. That's not quite right. You're getting into the scene, and that's not quite... Maybe a new idea comes. Wouldn't it be great to have a 30-foot-wide fireplace and big enough for six-foot logs? And pretty soon you're you're kind of going on a Hearst Castle kind of thing. <laughs> and um, But you know what I mean. It's not finished till it's finished. New things can come along, and... Um, Always when they do, when they really feel correct, it's a piece of the puzzle that just wasn't there before. So you're always on guard for new things that can come and always on that you can use and always on guard to make sure that if it's not right, you don't, you know, fiddle with you don't You just don't use it. You always take a good idea, but always refuse a bad idea. It sounds like there's a, method of successive approximations going on when you work successive approximations you go yep. it's it's zeno's paradox uh, are you familiar with zeno's paradox no well zeno says you never can get anywhere because you go halfway there then you go halfway again then you go halfway again 
halfway again, never get there. And that's kind of what you're describing, and you're you're only as you're going, you're getting more input and ideas. And this goes a little bit to talking about when you talk about rehearsals. Tell us a little bit some of your thoughts about rehearsing. Well, really quickly, um, it's it's that exact thing. You start a rehearsal. They got a scene. The actors have memorized the lines. They got their own take. You have that rehearsal, and you realize that it's not correct based on the idea it could be very far away or it could be very close but it's not correct so you go talk and you talk you plant ideas in their mind that would help them get to closer to that idea that you have and then you rehearse again you say oh that worked good except those words weren't so good there change those words they say, okay, okay, and we have another rehearsal. It's very close now. And then at a certain point, they're just there. And it feels correct. And they catch it. And they feel it, feeling it working. And you go like that. You started your own website a few years ago, davidlynch.com. How is that working out for you? How do you feel it's working for you as an artist? And how do you feel it's working for your audience? It's not working out, Rick. It's not. Okay. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. Um, it's working okay, but I've got really, really great loyal members. I haven't even chatted with them recently. I haven't put up new content. You get involved with a film, it just is all-consuming. And uh, the Internet, like TV, you got to feed it. you got to feed it. you got to stay with the people. And um, so... Maybe when the dust settles, I'll be able to, you know, refresh things and get back in. Uh, and I just, I feel like, um, I know there are 24 hours in the day, but it doesn't seem to be enough to do all the things. Your newest movie uh, with Laura Dern, Inland Empire, started out as a piece you wanted to do for the internet, didn't it? Yes, I was telling you that earlier, Rick. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, you don't know when you start something... Uh, where it will end. And this thing, um, just like a little pinhole, just started bringing it out, and it ballooned up to Inland Empire. Tell us a little bit about Absurdia. 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 Uh, the company Absurda? Yeah. Absurda. Well, I love absurdities, and there's plenty of them in this world. Um, but... Um, that can change as well. Uh, there's still a happiness in some absurdities, but there's a misery and a suffering in a lot of the ones that are going on. And um, so uh, I always, I don't even know exactly what the word absurd means, but I think it's like pornography. You know it when you see it. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about what you see as the future of film. You talk about this. The people will always be telling stories. And the medium uh, is changing. It's gone from film, almost film is dead, to digital. But it's telling stories. And with digital, you can get the look you want. And you have so many uh, tools and sound, plugins, all kinds of things you can do. All those will be more and more. They're already a bunch in picture. More and more and more and more. Tweakability. Getting it exactly the way you want based on those ideas. 
do you use plugins and and tweak your your images afterwards after the fact? Yes, um, uh, in the Telecine Bay, uh, before it went to you know film, as it was being as the high def master was being color corrected, there's things that you know we could do that you never could do with film, and and way way deeper color correction, way more you know experimental you know things you can do, and um, it's just just a, a whole world. You say that doesn't feel. Can we change that thing there? Can we just drift that color but keep that color? Whatever you want. This goes back a bit to your experience as a painter, doesn't it? It takes you back to the your beginnings as an artist. You started out doing moving paintings, right? That's what got me going. Tell us a little bit about your first moving painting. Well, Rick, I was in a studio, and I believe this is in the book too. We don't want to, you know give the whole book away on the show. Um, I was in a studio in Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts, and I was doing a, a painting of a garden at night. And I'm looking at this painting, and the little green leaves start to move, and I hear a wind. And I thought, oh. And the next thing was the thought, um, a moving painting. And at the end of every year at the Academy, they had a contest, um, experimental painting and sculpture. So I thought I will do a, a sculptured screen and, and have a... I didn't even know what animation meant. I'd seen cartoons. So I, I, got the, I had the concept, sort of, but there's stop motion and there's cell animation. I didn't know anything about that. I just thought I would do a moving painting on a sculptured screen and that's that started the thing going there you talked at one point about doing you when you were making a racer head you were thinking about doing a stop motion you might have to do a stop motion version of it didn't you to finish it that and all the live action was done but you know not not all of it was done and there was a lot left to do but no money and i was getting i was dying because I, 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 I wanted to finish it. I couldn't go on to anything else, and I didn't know where I was going to get the money to finish this project. So I thought I would build a small Henry Spencer and small sets and stop motion. But I kind of got fired up about the idea of doing that. But fortunately, um, I, I got um, just, just such a beautiful thing. I got in some investors who saved the day. When you brought out Eraserhead, it wasn't exactly a movie you could show in theaters and, and I, in, in, what that was going to get distribution. I'm wondering if the way that you distributed Eraserhead is informing the way you're distributing your films now. In a way, yes. Um, most of filmmaking is common sense, and I think most of everything is common sense. So... Uh, Eraserhead found its way to the Midnight Circuit, and that's what, you know, helped, you know, put it on the map. But there's the theaters for theatrical distribution. It's the last stop, and you'd want to get your, your, your film in those theaters. And there's some great theaters out there, great theater owners, loving cinema. And it, it reminds me of Coal Miner's Daughters with Sissy Spacek. 
um, where Tommy Lee Jones, her husband, would put her in the car, and they'd go down these little country roads and visit the DJs. And they'd play the record and see if they wanted to put it on the, on the radio. It's that kind of thing. It's, it's really great to be out on the road and meet people and, and uh, start a film going in this city or this city or this city like that. You talk a lot about the movie-going experience, and I really like what you say. It's very interesting because you talk about needing to see a movie with other people. It's really important that other people be there, even though they're quiet. And I think this gets back to this idea of the unified field that when people, when you have hundreds of people sitting in a theater looking at the same images and feeling this processing those images, but yet all silent and quiet. In a sense, it's a form of meditation. You can't, well, I wouldn't call it meditation, but it's, it's, it can get you to, a, um, it can sometimes get you to a deep place. And it's very beautiful, a shared experience. It's really beautiful. In a dark room, going into a world uh, it's it's great. The whole theater thing is so beautiful. One thing about movies, and, and your movies in particular, is that you managed to, to create places that we can go back and visit again. And this is the best books, the best movies, the best art, in a sense, creates false memories for us to, to go back and re-experience. Well, they're real memories. It's... it's um, and they make that. That's true. I was just talking last night about Billy Wilder, Sunset Boulevard, a world I want to, I love going back into that world. And his film, The Apartment, the same thing, a different world, but I love going into it. Really, a sense of place is very important. And you've captured many places for many people. Well, those things also, remember, they come from the idea. The idea tells you everything. It's so beautiful. It swims up from underneath us. All things come from the unified field. Somewhere they enter our conscious mind. The bigger the consciousness, the quicker they're going to come in and be known. Way more magic to them. So beautiful. And, you know, so much appreciation for them. And so much enjoyment of the translating. So much enjoying of the doing. If people really enjoyed their jobs and they really enjoyed all the people they worked with, and they really enjoyed driving to work, even with traffic, you can enjoy life. They say the world is as we are. You start changing it from the inside and the world looks better and better and better. And it's, it's, it's really that way it's nothing it wasn't it's not the same world for you it's a new world so important for the human being there was this girl and she uh came to um she doesn't even know she wrote me a long letter she doesn't even know how come she went to usc to hear this you know talk we were giving on the tour university tour she didn't know how she ended up there but she was had lost she said she wasn't even sad she just lost all hope in life. She was just numb, she said. Nothing. Didn't care about anything. Like walking around like a zombie. Just lost all hope. She came in, sitting there, and a little tiny spark of hope came out of that. Just a little spark. And it kind of grew in her. And, you know, she 
wrote a letter and got a scholarship from the David Lynch Foundation, started meditating, and then wrote me another letter just saying the whole story. And, and she is like um, banging on all eight cylinders. She's a different person. She's just so happy, and it just transformed her life. Tell us a little bit about what you have planned for the future. Well, Rick, when I'm finished uh, uh, talking about the book and Inland Empire, I'm going to try to catch uh, as big a fish as I can and get going on another project. We look forward to seeing what you catch and bringing it to the screen. We've been speaking with David Lynch. His new book is Catching the Big Fish, Meditation, Consciousness, and Creativity. His new movie is Inland Empire. Thank you for joining us, David. Thanks a million, Rick. It's good talking to you. Thanks. You're listening to Rick Kleffel, the Agony Column podcast. You can find additional reviews, interviews, print interviews, and book commentary five days a week at trashotroncom agony.